Welcome to Look Mum, No Hands. We have an amazing show today, exploring those scary choices life presents through the lived experience of our guests. Many of you will recognise that incessant whisper in your ear, tugging you to change your life, squaring up for the big jump. Whether it's career, life, family or love, there's that saying, if you're unwilling to be a foolish beginner, you will never improve. Or as I say, a life lived in fear is only half a life. Welcome to Look Mum, No Hands, Embracing Life's Risks. Oh, I'm a bit hoarse this morning, Sarah. Oh dear. <clears throat> you still um, look like Daniel. With you? me, Daniel Confino. And myself, Sarah Sharman. And we're delighted to be joined by Simon Spencer. And now uh, we happen to be sitting um, just opposite Greenwich Theatre. In fact, we can see it from that window there. And it's quite relevant that we're able to look over the theatre because you, Simon, are about to launch the premiere of a musical that you've been working on for six or seven years. You must have been eating, thinking, breathing, drinking, sleeping, nothing but how to do that. Uh, so we're delighted to receive you, and this will be going out just a few days before the premiere on Saturday the 1st of October. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, yes, we start previews, in fact, on the 1st, and then our opening night is uh, the 4th, Tuesday the 4th of October. Okay. So has this been your consuming passion for the last six or seven years? It, it certainly has, um, and perhaps subconsciously, uh, long long before then uh, as well. I'm uh, a producer, series producer and showrunner uh, for preschool shows uh, in television um, and have been doing that for the last uh, 20 odd years. Uh, prior to that though I trained as a director uh, in television in entertainment or light entertainment as we used to call it in those days, directing comedy um, and variety and music shows. Um, so, so my professional career has really been in television, but I started in theatre and had a very strong uh, ambition for being a theatre director, in fact, and was waylaid somewhere along, uh, along the path by the BBC, uh, and so my career moved into television. So it's a return, uh, this uh, theatrical production, to my love of theatre. And, uh, and so an ambition, yes, not just for the last six or seven years to produce this show, but probably since, uh, well, probably since I was a child. I, I omitted to mention it's called um, Are You As Nervous As I Am? <clears throat> what, what can we understand from that title? Well, I think come along to the show and you'll <laughs> hopefully find <clears throat> the title resolved. Um, it, it expresses a lot of things, but fundamentally and most directly about our story. Uh, the story is, uh, concerns uh, a young woman who is uh, a singer, or becomes a singer, becomes a very successful singer, and uh, singing is the one thing that she isn't nervous about in her life, which one would think stepping out to an audience or broadcasting on the radio um, or a podcast um would uh, would make you incredibly nervous but that's where she feels safe and that's where she feels comfortable and we learn a little more about therefore what does make her nervous uh, as the show as the story unfolds 
Right. <clears throat> I mean, we don't know the whole story because obviously no one's seen it in full apart from the, the, the in, inner team. But in terms of the plot line, um, and the reason why we found it very interesting to approach you, um, is that it seemed to play very much to the concept behind Look Mum, No Hands, which is about people that follow their calling, take risks, um, meet challenges and um, overcome them. But there are trials and tribulations. It doesn't always go well. And, and, and the, the idea behind this is to give the listener, who may be thinking about which path to take in life, some encouragement that it's all, not all down to you know, families and support and money and uh, luck, you know, that it's often down to hard work and a bit of dedication. But it's, does, so I, I'm, I think there's two aspects to what we want to talk about today, Simon. One is what's in the musical, uh, and the other is your your story to some extent in in how you made this happen because any project that takes six or seven years to come to fruition must have been through some um, moments when you you had to examine yourself quite deeply and we like to look at those because I know you've been interviewed quite a lot uh, so can we look at some of the some of the joyful and maybe difficult moments that on the road to bringing the um, are you as nervous as I am to the theatre yeah in, indeed. Um... As we as we said, it's it's been in development for six or seven years, and the daunting prospects of putting on any piece of theatre, let alone a musical, is of course the end result. And seeing well, there's going to be costumes, there's going to be lighting, there's going to be set, there's going to be actors, there's going to you know it it, it all um, when viewed is a is a mammoth undertaking that uh, that makes you uh, gasp in some ways uh, but my approach was to take it one step at a time knowing I wanted to write something knowing that there was a subject that engaged me that's where I began can I write a story that people will uh, relate to that might resonate in some way mm-hmm. um, so it began at the beginning with uh, drafting out characters and a storyline uh, and then trying to fuse those two into something with a beginning, a middle and an end that for me seemed to make sense. A character that people would hopefully root for, follow and other characters in that world that would also enhance and engage people. So that's where I began. I. I created a play, in essence, uh, to make sure there was something to tell and a journey to follow. Um, But because our protagonist becomes a singer, unwittingly in a way, her singing talent is something she does to connect with her mother when she's a child. Um, And to divert slightly, the heart of this story is her search for family rather than her search for fame. She isn't out to conquer the world with her singing voice. She is looking for her sister, who she's separated with, uh, separated from, um, and to build the loving family that she doesn't have as a child. Um, so back to writing the piece, because she was to become a singer there seemed logical points where songs could uh, uh, be, you know, performed. Um, And to an extent, within the drama, I plotted those moments out in the story, stage one. Then 
I needed to find a composer and a lyricist who would collaborate and connect fundamentally with with the story. Uh, and that's when I came across Leighton James House, who's our composer, and a lyricist uh, that he had worked with before, a lyricist called Sean McKenna, who's also a book writer and a playwright. Uh, Sean and Leighton had worked together on uh, another musical, a Terry Pratchett adaptation called Only You Can Save Mankind. So they had a an established uh, relationship. They both looked at the project. Um, they found different ways to connect. Um, and so stage two began where we sat together and looked at the story and these moments where the songs would come and then what these songs needed to deliver. Uh, musically, I think it's 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 a little unusual in that people don't just burst into song in a in a random fashion. Um, nothing wrong with that. I love musical <clears throat> theatre, but our songs start and end with our protagonist Peggy in a place of reality. So she'll be in a pub and she'll start singing, or she'll be in a drawing room with a piano, or she'll be in a recording studio. Um, so so the, the songs. Unlike musical theatre, where the songs take the the story along, this one is fitting into what's happening. So you say she, there's a piano in the room, so she's not using that song to move the story and tell how she's feeling or what she wants. Like she's not going, I want to be where the people are. <laughs> like she's having, she's well, just expressing a performance for herself. Well, yes, it? yes, and no. She's doing both, right. which is the conceit, the musical conceit that we think is slightly different. So her song begins as a song in reality okay. that she is singing to the people present in the mm. scene. Right. But quite quickly after the first verse or the first 16 mm. bars or the first, it does then go into her internal thought and the other characters in the scene are also expressing their emotion to what's going on okay. and to what might happen and to move the plot mm. forward. So, so in that way, it does both. It sits as a song at the beginning and then becomes more musical theatre, internal and, and, and moving the plot, ending again back in reality with her finishing the song. Right. Okay. So we're kind of, it's like kind of breaking the wall and then coming back in and... Exactly. Our, um, our very talented director, Phoebe Barron, um, who has directed a lot of theatre but also some film, she and I um, both have a passion for each medium and in the film version of the show, if we get to that mm -hmm. stage, it's almost as if your world, which is maybe more muted colours and kind of... Uh, 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 Darker, darker tones and shades for the drama, then when the singing goes into internal thought, the world becomes colourful and bright. Right. Um, which doesn't necessarily mean that the emotional is colourful and bright, but you have a very vi obvious visual um, transformation. Right. Um, and one of our challenges for Are You As Nervous As I Am musically is to, with our band, give that transformation from a, a singer with a piano, most of them start just with Peggy playing or accompanied by a piano, to then bring in 
the larger orchestration and open up the world musically as well as um, as well as the the subject and, and emotion that she's singing about. Nice. I think there was something. Did you ever see the play by uh, Nicole Leckie? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She did. She had a run at the. Oh God, Sloan Square. I've lost the. The Royal Court. The yeah. Royal Court. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and, uh, you remember what it was called? The play. Then it was called Superho. Okay, no, I don't know it. And then it. it transferred and developed into a TV BBC series and they changed the name because I don't think Super Ho. <laughs> <It was, laughs> Sat probably, yeah. But just as you were describing that, I, I, I relate that this has that kind of feel where you're having that moment and then it spins. So it is a musical, but not as a musical as you'd expect. Exactly. Well, that's yeah. That sounds very similar, and that's uh, that's that's one of the um, uh, we hope unusual and endearing and kind of engaging mm. elements that that will make the experience. Yes. Uh, Which brings different. in a whole new audience because not everyone likes that in your face. Here's this big twangy song or the jazz hands that are. No, well, we have a we have a wonderful um, contrast because uh, Sean McKenna, who who I say is our, our lyricist, has worked on some very big shows. He did the book and the lyrics for Lord of the Rings. Oh, um, he worked with uh, uh, Charles Aznavour on a musical of Lautrec. He's he's done some extraordinary uh, musical uh, musical treats. Um, but I offer very much in the musical theatre vein, quite big and quite bold. Um, which brings a, an energy and um, an understanding to the team of musical theatre. At the same time, I'm on the other side saying, well, there's a drama and a play and I want the songs to come out of the drama. I know they, they always do, but mm. perhaps sitting it more tradition, less traditionally and calling it a play with songs. Right. Um, but of course, a play with songs is what a musical is as well. It depends how you integrate the music. So, so, so what I'm saying is Sean and I come from Sue slightly. Yeah. I'd like it a bit more musical mm -hmm. theatre. And I'm saying I'd like it a yeah. bit more drama. And we just have to strike the, the balance. That's where the debate with uh, La La Land came in. Mm -hmm. Because that was a film with music, not a musical. Yes. Yeah, they went into their fantasy sequences, but then there was the, the drama that yeah. was uh, going through it. I think it. the film could carry itself without the music. But if you were to do it as a full musical and where the music was telling the stories with the dialogue, the music would have to stay in with the song or else you're missing a chunk of the story. Yes, I th that's, that's a very good example, I think, yes. Yeah. 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 So w was this um, a new adventure for you going into the, a musical? You, your, your career had been more in theatre and, and TV um, production or was there something there that you picked up on? Well, I'm a bit. I'm a big musical theatre fan. Always have been. Yeah. So, so my sort of uh, uh, personal knowledge as an audience member was quite extensive, having followed many shows over, mm. over the decades. Um, um, uh, so, what what do you think the, the the in terms of the audience um, experience is the is is what you're aiming at when you add music to theatre? Let's say because I understand this debate you two. Have been having about how the, how you balance that, but but by adding music, what do you add in your view? 
Well, um, uh, colour and entertainment in a in a uh, on a on a different level. I think music inevitably, uh, and this is sort of without lyrics even mm. can really heighten or enhance an emotion and a moment in which um, which is unique to yeah. to to the form. So really, you're getting. A double whammy if you've if you've got um, uh, if I can say you know good drama that is driving the characters and a moment that the audience is really behind or being affected by add on top of that the right musical moment and it's an explosion yeah. then of of, um, uh, of of delight for want of yeah. a better word perhaps. and emotion I mean funny enough, we played you our introduction before we started recording which was backed by a version of Night on the Bear Mountain um, with our voiceover. It, it was, you know, we could have just done the voiceover, the voiceover bit. It makes sense what we're saying. But with the musical backing, it, it is something completely different. And we were really overwhelmed when we first heard the result of our work. You know, it was so powerful. And everyone loves it. And, you know, it's just, as you say, it's that combination of good words, mm. which have their own logic, but a musical sort of reinforcement, which attacks a different part of the brain almost exactly it heightens it it heightens the whole yeah. moment and and gives greater impact definitely and on multi-level so yeah. you know it's uh it's a thrilling form i think so you, your experience as a an audience member does, does that mean that when you have your debates with Stuart and so forth that you you you're on level pegging <laughs> With, um, with with Sean, uh, Sean with sorry. Sean. Yes. Um, well, no, I bow to him somewhat because um, because of his great experience in theatre, and I do recognise it's a it, it's a very different form in creation. I mean, I had been involved in creating television shows, as I say, for a long time, and as a showrunner, my uh, my fundamental job is to protect the heart of what's been created by those that have come up with the idea and take it through the whole. Uh, a process of, of writing and design and shooting and editing and post-production and managing the expectations of, um, of the broadcaster, of the producers, the executive producers and the original creators and, and delivering something that, that ultimately again will entertain and engage. So I, I understand the, the challenge of creating something and creating something new but I've been doing that in television and theatre yep. is a very different uh, medium and I acknowledge that and so therefore having somebody like Sean and Leighton to to help guide that and indeed going back to Phoebe who's who is is a very thoughtful and um, uh, a, a very thoughtful director and who has come again from a a dra drama background. This is Phoebe's first musical, um, uh, but I am therefore supported in both ways. Leighton and Sean to help me with the musical theatre, yep. and then Phoebe, as I say, she she's worked at the National, she's worked at the Royal Court. She has a very solid understanding of of how actors should or, or can interpret a script. So it's it's leaning on both of those to to support my lack of experience mm -hmm. in that way, which is, uh, I'm incredibly lucky with the, yeah. the team I have. So when uh, Sean and his, what's his partner called? Uh, Leighton. Leighton, that's yeah. it. When they played the first piece, they'd gone away 
with all your notes and what you wanted, how was it here and what they played the first time? Well, there were lots of interesting things about the process. The most interesting thing was when we met for the first time to go through the script. They'd obviously already read it. We, we met for a day. And to talk about individual moments, how they would decide who would do the music and who would do the lyrics. It's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And I never knew that. And I was fascinated initially just to see what would happen. And as we went through, uh, Sean would go, oh, I've, I've got a good idea for a lyric for this. I can see how we can, I'll, I'll do the lyrics for this. And then uh, further along, Leighton would be similarly, there's a melody in my head for that moment. I can do, so I'll do, I'll do the melody. So that was the first fascinating um, discovery for me that um, it could work either way. Right. And for the first eight or nine songs, I think it was 50-50 uh, with them just jumping on them. You know, and the other one, of course, respectful, and they've worked together before. So sometimes I would get the lyrics first. Sometimes I would get the the, the melody. Um, then they would come together. So that was the first thing that was fascinating. But no, the I I think it, um, trying to remember. I think the first song was uh, called "Here We Go." Appropriately enough, that fused together. That was the first one that I heard them them both do. Yes, and and thrilling and and exciting and like like magic, you know. How do they know? Again, they're in a stab. Not uh, haven't done masses of shows together, but they are a partnership that's worked together before, and and so so the alchemy of 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 it all fitting together was exciting. And yes, I was I was thrilled, and and that never changed. I think we have thirteen or fourteen songs in all, and for every single one. Yes, it's 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 magical in what you hear and how it's come together, and also how it connects with with my story. You know, with with the sh the show that we're we're now um, putting on. Was there a time where you thought this is just not going to happen? You spent so much time and how many rewrites and different ways of shaping the story did you go through? And you think, oh, actually, I'm just going to leave us all and then come up with a different idea and change the characters, have this person do this instead, or right. were you pulling your hair out at any point? Um, well, it goes back to me saying about how I began and, and looking at breaking everything down into steps. Mm. So starting with the play, then the collaboration with, with music and lyrics, and then following a, a, a path the next stage to that was we did musical workshops <clears throat> so already you've got a year coming up two years maybe passing by where we're putting the songs with actors on their feet hearing actors sing them uh, and we've been we've been blessed by a wealth of talent from from West End who uh, and across the theatre community who, who have who have helped us with the new material and and come in and let us hear their interpretations and let us develop the music. So that was done with song with the songs and then in a similar way we started to work on the drama then, integrating the songs into the drama, which is when Phoebe came on board. Um, and to see and adjust. So you're going through stages and in yes I guess um, you quite quickly know if you've got something that's solid that can take this scrutiny, that can take this add-on, that can 
can grow in that way and and I and I so throughout the process I don't feel there was a moment where we thought oh this just isn't feeling right we've been quite fortunate in pieces fitting together quite well um and so after a point of workshops drama and music we then did do a presentation uh, a showcase really uh, of some of the scenes for some industry folk which was again the next stage we needed to do to get some professional feedback from people who had no idea about it at all that informed then our next stage of development which was probably more to do with character and plot in other words things that maybe weren't clear that were clear in our minds and the audience weren't quite getting or characters or relationships that needed to be stronger and even defining our lead character uh, which in many ways was and this is no fault of the actors that we've had working with us because they're working with the material that they have mm -hmm. but we could see that perhaps our lead was a little too confident and a little too self-assured and it was important to bring out more vulnerability um, and different elements of the connection with her sister, things like that. So by following each stage, each stage taught us something. Um, but then came COVID, of course, and just before then was the time we felt we've workshopped, we've showcased, we've presented. We now need an audience to come and see the show because until someone pays their 20 quid, you know, and sits down, they come with the best intent they want to be entertained and engaged but until those people which are a vital part of any entertainment come pay their money and respond you don't really know if you've got anything that that is is going to have a have a, have a great life um, and we were at that stage just before covid we'd started talking to Greenwich Theatre they had been very excited they do as you know a variety of of genres of entertainment and apart from their pantomime only really one musical a year and they were very um uh, very supportive of of our show and wanting to showcase it there and then there was covid um so that in itself has been the biggest challenge i suppose and that is where we've been so lucky to find greenwich theater because james hadrill has been nothing but supportive in finding us new slots and I'll be honest to say over the last two or two and a half years of COVID we've had two or three slots oh, yeah. that the yes we can no we can't between, yes between yeah. the rules changing you exactly <laughs> well this will happen uh, it's not happening and then uh, mm. but of course great empathy from everybody because nobody knew mm. Um, uh, but we are thrilled to have kept that relationship. They seem very happy, the theatre seem very happy to have us, and we're certainly very happy with, with the venue because it's a glorious space. Fantastic. So you say it's taken you a while, it's something you've always wanted to do, but your other job has kept you busy. Has there been a time earlier on that you think, I'm just going to break free from these chains, take a hiatus and put on the show? 
Well, I, th- I, th- I mean, that is uh, that is sort of in essence what I've done. Uh, what now, I've done now. Why didn't happen sooner? Why didn't it happen? Well, because we had to develop the show. We had to. It had to go through those stages. Mm. There is very little, almost no finance for developing certainly something like a, a musical on the scale that we've done. Um, so it's all been um, financed privately. Um, in order to go through those stages. Fortunately, the theatre community are incredibly supportive in terms of artists, you know, creatives and performers. I'm sure you know this, you know. If they get new work that they believe in, you, you, can, um, you can attract talent for... Everybody still gets paid, but relatively, you know, small amounts in order to help you move through. But away through. from this show, because you must have had other ideas throughout your career going... I've got an idea of a musical. I've got. I want to do this this little play. And how many ideas have come into your head before you've gone? Actually, no. This is the one that I'm going to ride with. Well, I think yes, you're 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 right. It, it, I think possibly yes. So I do have. So I have a film project and I have a, a television series that that I've I've developed. And the film has been, the film has been there for about 15 years um, uh, trying to to engage producers and and uh, uh, and get that into development and into moving that forward but if I'm honest um, when I segued particularly I had a thrilling time as a director in entertainment and and I did work with a lot of singers um, and and variety acts and lots of the genre that fits into our story so in some ways I was always gleaning kind of inside information that I could feed into my writing but I'd been very happy shepherding other people's creative projects and when I moved into into preschool I started working for the Jim Henson company um, unaware of how exciting the genre would be creating these worlds with uh, puppets with animatronics, live actors, um, animation, blending all this together. Um, creatively, that was so fulfilling and the projects were so rich in in what I could bring to them mm. that I I have been and I'm still very happy to to have that role. So creatively, in many ways, I was I was very fulfilled. But yes, a little bit of me wasn't I supposed to be in theatre, you know, wasn't I going to do... Um, so it was just finding the right opportunity, the energy, the right inspiration for this particular story. Um, uh, and and to to start bringing my own projects in into the light. So it, it it's timing. I haven't been sitting there with frustration. I think it is just about the right time for me now to uh, to do that and yes I'm getting a little bit older now so if not now when <laughs> is, it, is it scarier being the promoter rather than you know having a big role in in a larger organization like Jim Henson uh, uh, you're the promoter of um, the musical I'm, I'm assuming is that the right word well, well, in the pro- sense that you're produ- the driving force behind. Well, I'm the driving part. Yeah, the producer. Um, I yes, yeah. producer in that. Um, yes, to keep the project going because yeah. as as it comes through the heart of it comes from a creative idea that I had. Yes, and it is hard because fight it somehow fighting for other people's ideas. You know, yeah. sitting with the executives in Nickelodeon or 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 Disney or or whatever, d- d- telling them that no, we can't really do this because what our show is about is that. But in a nicer way, reminding them what the heart of the show is. When it's not, when you're not, when you're invested in it, 
and when you can creatively understand it, but when it isn't so passionate that you're going to end up shouting or crying, you know, um, it is easier to look after someone else's creative project is what I'm trying to say. And it is therefore quite daunting when I, I have to have two roles on this because creatively I want this and I want, you know, and I, and I'm talking with the designer and the director and they're very respectful and very lovely and bringing an awful lot of their own selves to the show which I want to support and but then as the producer I have to go oh but wait a minute do we <laughs> what do you mean four chandeliers I don't think oh but uh, but you said in the meeting that four oh yeah I did because then I was the creator and I'm a bit schizophrenic yeah 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 it's sort of like um so so keeping those lines separated is always the biggest challenge I think yeah. it sounds listening to you like the, the the joyful moments were when you got the dream team you got Sean you got Leighton you what Phoebe did, did it sort of cascade that what when you get one it's easier to get the other and then well then you got more to sell to the next one so to speak it looks more real it looks more you know like it's going to be a success and that, I'm sure that's what everyone wants it to be and um so is is that is that how you went through the development stages of thing yes you know did you go home and have one of those moments yeah I think with all the creative team I did for and that does start with Leighton and Sean at the beginning as you say uh, and then and then Phoebe yes that the, the quality of people because on some on some slightly quiet level inside you think well maybe this is quite good if they like it and those people that have done these great things you yeah. know in the past in a genre that I'm unfamiliar with if they're thinking it can work then uh um, and, and, you know, again, with the cast that we have, and we've been through casts for workshops, presentations, showcase, all of whom uh, are, are, I think, exceptional. You can see a lot of the development on our website. Um, I couldn't be happier with this cast. And again, it last year we thought we might open and we started casting. And then... A lot of those actors, of course, have since moved on to other projects. And you think, oh, and then suddenly someone's come in and you thought, well, this is, you in no disrespect to anybody else, this is actually perfect, you know. Um, and so we have, I mean, we have the amazing Bill Wards come in to do uh, one of our lead characters. Um, and he is that great balance between, um, you know, a, a, a great um, TV actor that everybody knows him from Coronation Street and from Emmerdale. But he's got, a, a, you know, an equally solid reputa reputation as an actor in theatre. And he's he was in Spamalot, you know, I mean, he's done a bit of musical theatre. So, um, and, and you know, candidly, Bill wasn't on our horizon two years ago, you know, and mm -hmm. it just worked out for him and it's worked out for us. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it does make you quite humble, really. I must say, I'm not generally a, a very religious person, but I did have a a very involved uh, discussion over years with uh, the vicar at our local church who, who said to me, Danny, if you're doing the right thing, you'll find that you get help in, in, in ways that, you know, you, you, you have to be open to. And if you're, if you're trying to do the wrong thing, you know, human will is powerful and you could do it, but there's always something in, in the way, something to haul you back. Do you, have you ever thought, as you look back on the project, that you've had those little bits of, I wouldn't call them divine intervention, but, you know, things have just fallen into place in a way that you make, makes you believe this is all destined, you know, this is the right thing to be doing, this is what I should be about. Yeah, I, I absolutely have that have that feeling, and I, ha I mean, I have a fairly positive outlook anyway, uh, and of course, 
what is it they say, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and often things that we thought, well, this is going to be this and that's going to be that. And then, it, and then it suddenly cuts off in a way and you think, but we, but, and, and this is maybe an advantage to being a bit older, been around the block a few times, seen how things pan out. You work with what you've got and that mustn't stop you because out of that, could well come something that you weren't expecting and that's the excitement of life is is that you can't really plan and you can't be in control as much as we love to think we are and we look for ways to be comfortable by saying well we'll do this and that so no things have definitely uh, as i as i talk about the cast yeah. all sorts of elements of the show the timing greenwich you know it, it all feels it all feels very right at the moment you need you some sort of stamina don't you to keep something going for many years if I maybe this is a very unfair question but if you were to say what percentage of your life has been devoted to making this all happen is that is that a number you can give us I mean is it 80 percent or 20 percent well I think it's been ever in, ever increasing but I think yeah so it probably started at 20 percent and now it's and now it's pretty 99 percent of, of my life As we reach the yeah, couple of days before yeah. exactly. Um, so um, yes, and definitely, and again through COVID, there was no way. Uh, like so many people in so many other ways, COVID wasn't going to defeat us. You know, um, that said, it could do without the support of Greenwich, without our director staying with the show, without you know all sorts of things. So I'm not complacent uh, about that. Um, but uh, yes, we. I was determined. I mean, through COVID, the first thing we did in the first three months of COVID or two months of COVID, I, I pulled together um, a lot of the development cast and we have one of our songs, which is a bit of a knees up song called Doing the Best We Can, which seemed to fit very nicely into how the world was was struggling um, at that time. And we got everyone to record at home and uh, we put out this video um, available on our YouTube channel to have a look at, doing the best we can in aid of the Equity Benevolent Fund. Um, uh, and that was right at the start of, of, of COVID. I know subsequently everyone was doing videos, which is great, and it was good for everybody to be able to have that outlet. Mm. But that was the first thing we did. And then fortunately, we'd engaged our arranger just before COVID. So we were able to work on all our band arrangements. And then as technology is so marvellous, musicians were able to record uh, their parts of the arrangements remotely at home mm -hmm. and we were able to start doing demo tracks. Um, we did one very short one just as a test to see how it would work. I did a little video for it. So we were able to keep the show alive creatively and in terms of an audience by, by moving it forward and producing what we could in terms of video. Very wonderful performer called... Um, Louise Dearman, who had a uh, big West End uh, star, also does a lot of the Royal Albert Hall proms uh, musical events. She was doing a big on online concert, had worked with us on a, a workshop and premiered one of the songs for us. So even though the, the climate was so uncertain, we were able to keep the show alive. And I, in answer to your question about my personal investment, I was looking for those ways all the time yeah. to keep our momentum going with the team and to keep a certain presence in, in promoting the show and an awareness. Well, I, I was wanting to talk 
I think I mentioned at the beginning that we wanted to hear how the show came about, but we're also interested to see how the plot line, basically, of, of the show, without giving away too much, do you think everyone can hear the pitter-patter of rain on <laughs> in the roof of <laughs> little garret up here? Um, yeah, the also plays to, to, to the idea of taking risks. I mean, from what I understand, there's a focus on two sisters, and presumably you're making some sort of points about their different approach to life. One finds the other, do they? And they, uh, there's some sort of comparison about their, their life journey, lessons to draw. I'm, I'm guessing, so you'll have to help me. Well, they're both, um, yes, they're, they're both from a small town in Wales. Um, they're both forced apart by circumstance, away from home. The older sister Janet, um, when she's um, when she's uh, around seventeen, leaving her eleven-year-old sister Peggy with her mother, and her mother certainly has has certain behavioural issues. Um, and finally, Peggy also leaves home and uh, goes to London to look for to look for her sister. Um, and yes, it's as I say, although Peggy falls into uh, the company of, of of someone who mentors her into being a singer. She is, she is not forgetting her goal that she wants to find her sister and also have her own family because of the background that she's come from. And then when the sisters do finally reconnect, um, we learn a little bit more about Janet. Um, and as they then continue the story goes from the 50s the 60s to the 70s we follow this across a period of time we see how the sisters both support each other and need each other consciously and unconsciously and the the challenges that are thrown at both of them in different ways um and and as i say how it's their relationship that ultimately assists them in 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 a more positive life um and that's set as well and reflected in the time that we see because women in the 50s and the 70s also have gone through quite a change in terms of, you know, rights and, and, and kind of attitudes and opportunities. So that's also reflected. They're two very strong women, as their mother indeed was a very strong woman, but she came from, from the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, and they struggle with some of her decisions, but they are two strong women and recognize that that comes a lot from her. It depends not only on your character, what is what I'm saying, but also the, 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 the opportunities that afford you and their opportunities are very different to their mother. So. So it, it's although it's a, a, a showbiz story of, of some glamour and some fame, there's a very real heart about, um, as I say, the importance of family mm. and, and navigating life and supporting each other in life. Right. I mean, it's interesting, though, just this business of leaving home, you know, um, to come to London. I was reading something about how half, 50% of people stay in the place they were born all their life. Um, and uh, you know, in a, in a sense, just leaving home in that way is a big thing, isn't it? It's a risk. It's a, a challenge that, that some people don't feel up to, and particularly they have nowhere obvious to go. And it sounds like the girls both took courage in their hands and um, and did something. Well, and uh, and both had, uh, without giving anything away, and both have good reasons for leaving. Right. And as you say, um, that's no mean feat to 
to to take yourself out of your home environment, particularly in the nineteen fifties. Um, and uh, but the reasons for doing that are are I offer compelling, um, but still take an awful lot of courage. And both women are, as I say, incredibly strong. And and uh, although perhaps not realizing that yeah. until the story. I mean, we're we're develops. all. We're all more and more familiar to you know social issues being inserted into shows like The Archers and so forth, where you know it's a very good medium and, and some of the soaps. Uh, is there an element of that um, about? Um, are you as nervous as I am? Have you? Do you have some messages that you wanted to convey, albeit through this very entertaining medium? No, I uh, yes and no. I mean, you want people to take away what they can from the show. And we do touch on race, we do touch on sexuality, we do trust, uh, touch on abuse and alcoholism. Um, so it can look like a checklist of, have we done this? Mm-hmm. Have we done that? Um, and I can honestly say, um, none of that was considered beyond starting the story where it begins and the journey in which our characters go. Um, that injects drama, but yeah. I offer in a in a in a natural, if that's mm. the right word, in a natural way through through the story, and and it's only afterwards, I hope, or or, or yes, that you that you really reflect on those issues because I want you to be carried away, the audience to be carried away with with the story, and ultimately be engaged and entertained. I, I don't want it to be, there, there is no message, you know, or, or sort of grim hardship no, no, no. to make you feel no, how no. lucky you are. Um, because I think ultimately theatre, well, theatre delivers different things to different people. But for Are You As Nervous As I Am, I want people to come out feeling better and inspired. And, and then perhaps if they look back on some of the things, reflect on those. But it, it, generally it's, it's to, to make a positive experience for an audience two hours yeah no I, I think that's a very I'm glad you answered the question I was about to ask really which is what would people be thinking as they come out you know would, would they be reflective about the you know some of the the exchanges they've heard or or just joyous you know because of the beauty of the song and the lyrics and the, well I think the, the key the emotional impact you know could be you know powerful and, and that, that's enough as you say the that's key a, that's, yes in, in good evening Indeed, and and the key to to Peggy, although she becomes quite a famous singer, um, is she isn't a victim. She isn't Judy Garland. She isn't Edith Piaf, great performers who had very tragic lives. That doesn't mean that Peggy doesn't have challenges and struggles and things to overcome. But I I do want an audience to come out and feel somehow enriched by what they've seen and slightly uplifted mm. uh, without giving too much away. Mm. doesn't mean that everything's answered. I, I think it's important to have some questions, yeah. perhaps, you know, so you don't tie everything neatly with a bow. But I, I certainly didn't want uh, Peggy to feel, um, people to feel, oh, dear, what a life. You know? yeah. But do you, do you think the creative process and, and the determination to succeed, you know, to become a star, are helped in some ways by difficult circumstances having to strive against uh, uh, you know circumstances I mean I asked that question because we've interviewed quite a lot of people and, and, and we've had some amazing stories of people that were basically abandoned at the age of 14 and so forth who had to do you know bring themselves up and, and so forth and you know, it changes 
the perspective a little bit on how people are successful. When you see them as successful, you, you imagine it was a linear you know, relationship. They just went straight there on some you know, rails. And um, so I, in, in the way that you have created the show and the way you've, you've created the characters, do you have some view on, on what goes into making people take those sorts of opportunities in life against... You know, slightly against the, the norm, perhaps. You know. Well, that's the heart. That's the heart of uh, yeah. So, sort of, what kills you doesn't make uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, uh, that, no, that's the heart. I mean, that's where the essence of this uh, story, inspiration for this story, comes from. Uh, is so there is a lot of um, uh, female talent, singing talent in the fifties, particularly forties and fifties, who um, some of whom are known, some of whom aren't known anymore but who navigated careers through decades um, successfully uh, despite the changing musical styles. You know, you think of Petula Clark or uh, Alma Cogan, who very few people know now, or Dorothy Squires or Shirley Bassey, who started in the 50s and, and went through the 60s and 70s and managed to navigate a career which is one thing, which is very interesting, I thought, but also and looking at those and other different singers, there were choices made sometimes in their careers which I found slightly odd or slightly against maintaining their fame and their success. So what would, what would those situations have been? What would have driven them to make those decisions? And that's when I went back then to sort of, so much of this starts in childhood mm. in terms of where you set your patterns mm -hmm. of life and your behaviour through your environment, through your family life. So that's partly why we start Peggy at 11 years old. So you get a sense of that and you, you then can appreciate a little bit more her journey and when things happen uh, on, on her journey. Mm. Um, and, and definitely um, uh, her... Her, as I said before, her goal is, despite the fame that she she starts to have, she's still looking to create her family mm. life. And every time she's successful, she's hoping that that success will give her some independence to create the family mm. that that she wants. Mm -hmm. And and understanding that, and therefore appreciating how she's knocked or, 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 um, uh, or, or has these obstacles um, is important to, to, to understand, uh, to appreciate her achievements in the, at the end of the story. Sorry, I waffled on a bit then. I'm not sure that made sense. No, I, I, think, I think we're struggling with some quite difficult concepts here because in a, in a way, to me, the, the, the rejection or the, the, the desire to change the family she's going to create make it as different as possible from the one she experienced is, is somewhat ironic in that the, the more perfect the family the less likely those children will be risk takers in some ways exactly um, you take away the safety net to people and they have to succeed you know and uh, the very more, true yes and I, I actually I, I do mergers and acquisitions for a living and I often deal with family companies that have been to been through two three generations it's, it's fascinating to see how when they when they've made the money, the kids growing up in the third generation that have all been to Harvard or business school, they don't have it, you know. They don't have the desire. They've got a nice soft life ahead of them. So it, it, it's, 
maybe it's all self-compensating. <laughs> Finally, we all do reject elements of, you know, or change elements of our own upbringing, which we think we would like to change. But it's, it's a very complicated formula. You change one bit of the equation and, and the other bit changes. Well, yes, and as you say, appreciating that those hardships or those struggles are probably what's, what's enabled you to achieve what you've achieved or given you the resilience yeah. or given you... It, you know, it's... it's uh, what is it? It's accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, isn't it? You know, it's it's... It's being able to recognise those positive elements, although they might have been hard and difficult, how they feed into mm. you. At the same time, to avoid dysfunctional patterns of behaviour which will destroy you and your right to kind of navigate those. And it's yeah. choosing which ones, which bits of uh, should you pursue and which bits and be, and be grateful for and which bits should you be wary of. So I can't resist asking you this question. So what, what is it about your life story that makes you want to entertain people? Ah, well, I was sort of born not in a trunk, but my father, <laughs> my father was a magician oh. um, uh, back in the days of variety in the 40s and 50s and actually semi-professionally right up until, you know, the, the 70s. Um, so, and his two sisters were dancers and his third sister was uh, a singer. So there's a certain showbiz um, gene, I guess, running through mm. through the family when you when you spend your breakfast time or dinner times having a father who's flicking cards up from one hand trying to catch <laughs> them in the other, um, uh, and they end up in the cornflakes. Corn you know, it's um, and that's sort of normal life, and you're sort of given a little magic act that your father rehearses with you when you're 11 to do at your parties for your mm. for your friends you know there yes yeah. so there's uh, there's a lot of uh, showbiz in my blood i guess i was i actually went on a card magic course with a, a good professional um, and it, when you do a trick it's amazing how the audience that breaks out into two groups those that just enjoy the experience of being deceived and don't have any questions don't want to look behind the curtain and those that are determined that you do it three times they can work out what you're doing yes 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 it and won't then, suspend this life is yeah. suspended disbelief or magical reality <laughs> we talked about that on our podcast series earlier but um yeah you know i think people do have that so um but your your show is going to have universal appeal i'm, I'm sure it's not going to well it, 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 it aid by age by all the ways we can divide ourselves up these days is it is can a young audience appreciate it I, I think because uh, there's so much emphasis now on being famous and being a celebrity. Mm. And uh, sadly, being a celebrity, I, I, I perceive, means actually not really needing to have any talent. But I don't know, just dress well and put out lots of photographs and be in the right place, you know. Mm. Um, and then there are there is that drive, people who do have talent as well, as say, to become famous rather than just a celebrity. So I think um, I, I think there's definitely resonance. And, and as you say, from where you come to where you end up. I mean, our, uh, Peggy and Janet start in Clenethley in, in South Wales. Um, and that's a fairly um, working class mining community. Yeah. Um, and through the journey, she not only goes to London, but Hollywood. And, and so I think there's an interest and a fascination uh, for a uh, you know for a younger audience yeah. to see how how your journey how that journey is and how you respond. Mm. Uh, Peggy goes from as I say eleven years old right the way to to the grand old age of forty one. Mm. Can anybody so, remember being forty one? <laughs> the way these things work, Simon. What, what's the um, what's the development then? You, you're here at Greenwich 
do, do you know more, or what is it? Can you say? Well, we're 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 here at Greenwich. The ambition is is of course to to then next year take it out on tour. Um, we're talking about going out in the spring next year on a sort of small regional tour. Um, as we go, hopefully building the audience. So in maybe towards the end of next year, we could do a bigger national tour. And yes, West End 2025, you know, why not? Or 2024, whenever, you know, but it is, it's the next, it's the next stage in the journey, talking about creating something in steps. Yeah. You know, this is now to put it out in front of an audience. We will learn an awful lot. Um, and I'm sure then there will be more changes and, uh, and adaptions and, and, and refining. Um, but it is, we're in it for the long haul, as I say, a very important stage for an audience to see it. But assuming that, that, that can be positive for us, then next year a tour and, and keep moving it, uh, mm. moving it up and onward. Are there any references you want to mention? I mean, we, well, we can tag you on the notes to the show, but any, any, anywhere people can go particularly to find out more well you can our website is uh, www.areyouasnervous or one word.com um, and our uh, we have our are you as nervous twitter and instagram and all that good social media stuff too all right so getting sorry, sorry just the dates once again for here at Greenwich Theatre we start previews this uh, Saturday evening the 1st of October we have two shows then on Sunday and then we have opening night on Tuesday the 4th, next Tuesday. And closing? And we run through until the 23rd of October, Sunday the 23rd. Amazing, that's a good stint. So we're very lucky, yes, again, thanks to the Greenwich Theatre, we're, we're with you for three weeks. Amazing. Wow. Well, I have to say it's been really fascinating. Um, I have nothing but admiration for people that take on these demanding projects over years and live with them and do, you know, all those, as you say, and they may be, maybe you've programmed it, but there's a huge number of steps to get everything to fall into place. And, and here you are on the cusp of opening night, um, which is a testament to your you know, achievement and, and staying with that project. And I'm so excited about going to see it, as you can imagine, not least because I can see the theatre from here, but having heard <laughs> this story from you in person, um, I think we are going, I think I booked tickets on Saturday, actually. Uh, oh, excellent. Right uh, at the beginning. Oh, yeah. all right. Thank my, you very my, much. My favourite no. row in the middle. I know exactly where to be. For well, that's brilliant. Well, we want, we're, we're very keen for people to come and support us from the beginning. So that's very, that's very kind. And um, it's been, it's been fascinating to hear what you needed to know, what you needed to know, what you wanted to know. And uh, for you to take the time to to ask me and well, I hope uh, we took a slightly different take than some of the other interviews. We, you never, you know, there's a story that comes out which is which is very compelling, and uh, I hope you listeners will enjoy it as much as we have hearing it. Yes. Okay, thank you again, Simon. Thank you Your both time. very much. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Until next time, bye for now. Don't miss future episodes of Look, Mum, No Hands. Share and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review on Apple. If you are inspired to take that leap and join us on the show and share your experiences or have a friend who might, message us on Instagram at Podcast. This has been a Talks With My Neighbour Productions, produced and hosted by Sarah Sharman and Daniel Confino. Music by George Twydell, artwork by Jane Confino, and title voiceover by Joshua Sharman.